Good morning. You are listening to Action Line on KNY. I am your host, as always, Jordan Lewis, and joining me here in the studio, which is actually a little smaller side studio today, is Senator Jesse Keel. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Jordan. Good to be in a tiny little room with you. Yeah, you know, it, it, it helps for sound. That's what I always think. It helps for sound. So, obviously, the big things I always want to talk to you about are education and the marine ferry system. But let's start with education. So what's going on there? I understand there were some more talks about the base student allocation. So, yesterday, as the House had the operating budget uh, on the House floor, getting ready to pass it over to us in the Senate, they put in uh, a backstop, a last-ditch backstop. <clears throat> and what they said was... Um, in the event we don't get a BSA bill, right, an education funding bill that puts, you know, an education boost in that's going to last, the backstop is $680 per student on that base student allocation for the next fiscal year. Um, uh, that is not what we're going after. That's not what we want. Um, it is enough to stop the hemorrhaging but not the bleeding. And if it's one time only... We'll be doing this again just like this next year. So that's that's not what we're dreaming of. That's not a good fix for our schools. It is a last-ditch backstop. Um, when the budget passes the House, and they've got a bunch more amendments to do today, um, then it'll come over to us in the Senate, and we'll work on it. We obviously have those, those uh, education funding bills we need to pass back and forth um, and get the negotiations done. The, the big idea here is to make up for the last <clears throat> oh, almost a decade of inflation, it's seven, eight years of inflation, um, and invest in K-12 again because we have really shorted Alaska schools uh, with low oil prices and, and constrained budgets uh, and, and do that on a durable basis so that school boards in this state can focus on education instead of writing and rewriting and re-rewriting and re-re-rewriting the budget every year. Gotcha. And then I was actually going to say when I was reading about that, that sort of that backstop, as you put it uh, earlier this morning, to me it almost seemed like it was a Band-Aid fix where it's like, this will help right now. It's not going to really help later. Y yeah. Um, we we really need to to open this up, do it right, get it get it fixed going forward. Um, and, and so the bill that um, we moved out of the Senate Education Committee that I serve on, um, that does a couple of things. Uh, it adds $1,000 to the BSA for the coming fiscal year, and then another couple of hundred dollars to make up for you know the current super high inflation rate next year. And then in year three, it says, okay, look back at the last several years Calculate the actual inflation, average it out, so, so smooth it out so we're not getting these giant peaks and, you know, the current uh, freaky scenario, and adjust there. Now, I'd love to just keep up with inflation going forward. I don't think there's enough support for that. But three years of being able to plan and being able to know that if you're running a school district, being able to know that at least once we get that first adjustment in, the buying power of the dollars you have to teach kids isn't going to drop again for three years. That gives you an ability to plan, to buy curriculum, to train teachers, to focus on hiring, focus on keeping people in the classroom, all the things you need to do um, and, and gets you off this, um, off this merry-go-round of, oh, we're out of money again, oh, we're out of money again, oh, there's a fix, we're out of money again. 
back and forth. It's <laughs> what we're doing now is kind of the least efficient thing we could possibly do. So our schools don't need that. Our kids don't deserve that. Um, I, I'm not there yet. We moved it out of committee. It hasn't passed. So um, we've got we've got a lot of work yet to go. Okay. I was going to say another applicable metaphor is it's like a boomerang. You, you, <laughs> you throw it thinking you've solved the budget problem and it comes back and you're like, actually, no, we have not fixed the problem. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm afraid for some people, they think of a boomerang like that plastic toy uh, that you're, we might, you might have had as a kid. But the origins of the boomerang were as a weapon, right? As a hunting tool. Yep. Um, and it can, when it comes back on you, it can crack you hard. Pretty sure it was originally made to take out kangaroos, if I remember correctly. I know it was Australian. That's the best I got. I, I agree. It is definitely Australian. <laughs> I think it was for kangaroos. I don't have enough uh, immediate Australian contacts to confirm that, but uh, that's what I recall hearing about that. Okay. And so then what other sort of moves are happening in terms of education right now? Well, um, there was a hearing um, last week on a bill the governor proposed that was more sort of the culture war issues. Um, and, and Alaskans turned out in overwhelming numbers with a couple of fundamental messages. But the most important one to me was, this is not an issue that actually is affecting students and classrooms. And we need you to work on student learning and classroom issues. Um, and, and it was, <laughs> it was actually surprising. Oftentimes these contentious issues, you get a lot of folks on both sides. You certainly had people who were very passionate, but fundamentally Alaska classrooms don't have a problem with pronouns or kids' names. They, they just don't. They have a problem with not having enough teachers. They have a problem with not having enough classroom aides. They have a problem with not having enough funding. Um, kids are dealing with all kinds of problems. Kids who come to school hungry because their families don't have, you know, the hand they need to, to get enough groceries on the table, um, even even though they got people working, um, kids who come to school hungry aren't aren't learning. <laughs> the brain isn't running full bore when when all the thoughts are on the belly, um, and and then you have our longstanding problems with with some of the trauma, some of the kids who have serious issues at home, and and then often there are disruptions in the classroom as a result. Now every kid is affected, right? Um, we have challenges. We have great opportunities. If we can, can get past trying to fight with each other, um, we can get back to reading and writing, math and social studies, right? Learning the things our kids need to learn so that they can be adu adults with jobs and families and healthy, productive members of our society and informed citizens and all the things we need. So um, th that was the biggest single thing. There are a couple of three bills in education that um, uh, that are getting some hearings, and I'm, I can't quite predict what's going to happen. But there are a lot of us um, in the legislature, I should say I have a lot of colleagues in the legislature, who, who want schools to focus a little more in a few specific places. Um, and, and the approaches they take are different. Um, but we're seeing bills to require some mental health education. Um, and, and I think that's, that's appropriate, right? Certainly you get some, some physical health education. Uh, and kids today are suffering mental health problems in numbers we've never seen before. Part of that was a pandemic. Part of that stressors. Part of that's, you know, uh, they're reading about climate change and the world is in trouble. That's tough, especially it's tough on, on young minds. Um, and, and so 
but you also see uh, bills to require civics education before you can graduate high school, and to require financial literacy education before you can graduate high school, and to require, and no one of those is a bad idea. When you start piling them up together, um, the question sort of becomes, how, how much local control do you give the voters in a school district to pick a school board that reflects their highest priorities for their schools, right? It, there are not enough hours in the day. There are not enough days in a school year to teach every student every single thing on earth. You're going to have to prioritize among good ideas, among valuable things. Um, and generally, I believe in, in local control of education. Um, you know, we, we have some state standards, right? You need so many years of math and reading and writing. That's appropriate. Um, but we leave most of the details, most of the additional stuff to local school boards uh, elected by local voters. And that's the critical thing, right? We have elections so that the citizens, people listening to you and me on the radio today, get to make those choices. Um, and and I, I'm a little hesitant to take away from those, even though, boy, do we need more financial literacy and boy, do we need more civics education and boy, do we need mental health help all over the place. So it, it's, a, it's a tough one. Um, and you may see some squabbling about those bills as we get later in the session. Gotcha. That was a I don't think it was a good update on sort of all the goings on of education. I definitely uh, I do admittedly agree with you about that one bill from the governor because I remember initially kind of going through that and it did come off very culture war y despite being phrased as it's a parental rights thing and I'm like well but a lot of these are things that are already existent or they're things that maybe they don't share those things with their parents because of things that are going on at home. So if you're talking with counselors and stuff about those sorts of things. We are actually going to have to take our first break, our only break, really. I don't know why I always say first break. But we have to take our break. And when we come back, I'll actually want to talk to you a bit more about some of my thoughts about what you shared. Great. Welcome back to Action Line. I am still your host, Jordan Lewis. At least I always think I am. You never know these days. And joining me in the studio still is Senator Jesse Keel. Now, before the break, we were talking about, really at length, about a lot of different things going on in education. And I wanted to kind of comment on a couple of those things. And one of those was talking about the increase in mental health numbers for, for young persons. And you and I talked a little bit about during it about during our break, but I wanted to kind of elaborate that a little bit for the audience and that I was comparing maybe some of those mental health numbers to similar to how we used to treat people who were left-handed or how the LGBT used to be presented where those numbers were always at a certain point, but they were artificially lower because you forced people to be right-handed or not come out as LGBT. And so that may have played a role in some of the mental health numbers being lower, but obviously I think you and I could both agree that they are definitely higher now in certain areas. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I, I do think that the, the rates are higher. I definitely agree that, that when you don't suppress something, when it's not a source of shame or punishment, um, you're, you're going to see a bump in the, in the numbers reported without necessarily seeing a bump in the, um, the issue. The, and just to be clear, um, the bill I was talking about on mental health education really is uh, an education piece. We're not talking about therapists in the classroom, um, but it's about helping kids, young people, um, learn about mental health um, and, and taking away the stigma, right? There isn't a stigma when you sprain your ankle and you go and you get some crutches and you go see a physical therapist, right? And you get better, right? Same thing with, with mental health, right? There, there should not be a stigma when eh, you need some help. You need to work through these issues and maybe, you know, meds and whatever it is to get better from a health issue. Um, 
and and you know there, there is no cause for shame there. So uh, yeah, there there definitely is a piece of what you described. Unfortunately, right now we also do see genuinely higher rates of some of the some of the things that indicate we have a bigger problem. And and sadly, all the way at the uh, furthest extreme of that, um, you're seeing that in suicide rates, both attempts and and completions, which is a terrible thing. We we need to step in wherever we can to to save those lives. Um, So uh, those are some of the um, the thoughts I have on on that. Certainly, as we work on the budget on the Senate Finance Committee, which I serve on, um, we are looking at some of those opportunities to, to intervene, to save lives. Actually, we um, are just about to move a bill, uh, and, you know, I, I cast a little shade on the governor. Let me applaud him on something else. We're about to move a bill that extends uh, Medicaid coverage for women who've just given birth to a baby, postpartum coverage. Um, right now, it's just a couple of months. The governor's bill would extend it to a full year postpartum. And here's the reason that comes to mind, Jordan. Um, Many of the problems we see affecting postpartum women and their newborns have have to do with postpartum depression. There are other medical complications that come up, but but when mom gets hit by that that problem, um, it's harder to take good care of the baby. It's harder to have good outcomes for the baby. And mom needs help too, right? So, so you put those two things together for someone who's working but not making a lot of money, not enough to buy private health insurance, right? Um, extending that postpartum coverage from a few weeks to a full year genuinely can save some lives and can make for healthier futures for mom and baby both. The governor's proposed that. I 100% support it. We're going to move it out of the finance committee coming soon. Um, and so that's a that's one of those things that just makes perfect sense. And I'm glad I'm glad he put it out there. You know, that's a, that's interesting to hear about because oftentimes I think that in the, sort of to lead into what you were talking about earlier. That is another one of those ones that doesn't get talked about a lot. And it's very important that we sort of put attention on that to see to see. I shouldn't say to see because I can't see anything in this small little studio, but to hear that there is steps being made on that, I think is is a good thing for the public to know about. Now, I want to make sure we hit it because I mentioned at the start and I want to make sure we do it so I don't end up forgetting. And I'm like, oh, no, we didn't do the thing. I want to talk to you about the ferry system. So what's going on there? The ferry system uh, continues to work through all those serious challenges we've talked about in the past. They have a new general manager. Um, He comes out of the private sector, uh, a lot of freight and barge maritime operations, uh, worked many years for Crowley, um, worked down in the Gulf of Mexico. He also has some Alaska history. Um, he does not have any history with the, um, the hospitality and transport, personal transportation side. You know, the, the ferries, um, especially when you think about our mainliners that take you to Bellingham, um, have a hotel operation on them. That's where the cabins are, right? Um, <clears throat> and so, I mean, Nobody is going to come in with a, an extensive history and everything. So he's got great experience on one side. He's got a learning curve on another side of the operation. Um, there's a lot of optimism for him. I haven't had the chance to meet him yet. I've talked with a bunch of the folks who, who have and who've had an opportunity um, both from the worker side and from the management side. A um, lot, uh, lot of sense that this is a smart fellow with a great history um, and an openness to the issues. But but we have some huge problems. Um, and I am more than a little bit frustrated, Jordan. The ferry system's been spending money on advertising to hire crew, right? Everything from experienced folks 
to getting people trained up as an able-bodied seaman, get started out, right, and a foot in the door, work your way up, career ladder. What we just saw in the news uh, a week or so ago, <clears throat> more than 250 applicants last year, in calendar year 2022. What do they make, four hires? Six hires? That's insane. More people than that age out and retire or, you know, go somewhere else just naturally. Right. right. In, in a good year, more than four or six or whatever that number was, single digits of people leave. I mean, it's a big operation. How, how is it possible to get that many applications and make four hires? So one of the things I'm working on um, is, is on the Finance Committee. I'm the primary um, Senate writer of the Department of Administration's budget. We have serious, serious issues in HR, in personnel, in payroll, um, in a lot of those services that got centralized and pulled out of the departments. Um, and, and for, um, it was some good ideas about getting more efficient and saving money, but the moves happened before the system was ready. And so what we have is a bunch of people who don't know anything about the ferries trying to handle the ferry hiring and failing, trying to handle the ferry pay paperwork and failing. And then you apply that across all these other agencies. You know, I don't know much about running a prison at the Department of Administration either, but they've got all the correctional officer hiring and payroll and paperwork. Look at the state troopers, right? Whole different contract, whole different set of work rules than either of the other two I just mentioned. Guess what they don't do at the Department of Administration, right? We, we have um, a neat idea that was rolled out way, way, way too fast. And it's in, <laughs> I'm not gonna say it's in failure, it's in serious trouble. Um, and, and so we're working at the, uh, uh, I'm working with the Department of Administration with the rest of the finance members to try and uh, just turn the dial down a couple of clicks here on this intense effort centralize everything on a promise of saving money that has generally not ha happened yet um, and has created some serious problems in the agencies that serve Alaskans directly, right? They keep the doors locked at Lemon Creek. They patrol the highways and the, you know, fishing game. They, they uh, run the ferries or try to when they've got enough sailors. Um, that's a really long answer to a short question, but but we're going to keep working on this. We're going to get this under control. Well, I mean, it proves one of my uh, at-home joke statements correct, which is that the sea will always give me an answer if I need one. <laughs> and I used the fairies and got a very in-depth answer about various other things going on within the state. So I think I was proven right in that regard. <laughs> but uh, it's it's interesting to hear that that sort of centralization or the what it kind of sounds like more is the attempt at centralization for those things has led to all those different complications. So, so so let me be clear. Some of the things that we have centralized are working, right? The the move to get uh, the vast majority of the state's computing services uh, shifted to the cloud, right? Instead of all on old mainframes or racks of servers in the state office building here and the server farm in Anchorage. Um, that probably could not have been done by 14 departments independently. It, that needed a centralized IT operation, and it's working. They're in the middle of it, and, and by all accounts, it's working, right? So, so there are things that, that are going well there. I'm not looking 
to totally undo and unwind all of centralization in state government because some of it has made sense. Some of it is saving money. Let's keep those. Um, some of those pieces have great promise and potential if we can get them running. But until they're running, we actually need the people and the places to do the work. That's got to come first. And, and, and when new ideas prove up, when new ideas, uh, you know, have uh, are going are to work, let's do those. But you you don't move dozens of people, um, and and change what they do or how they do it or how the agencies they used to work for actually are able to get the work done for Alaskans. That's what government is for. It's to get work done for Alaskans. And if you lose sight of that, you you start wasting Alaskans' money, and that's not okay. Gotcha. Well, it looks like we're actually running a little over time, but I'd like to thank you for coming in. I always appreciate talking with you. It gives me good insight on what's going on in the state Senate because the only other time I really get to talk legislature is when Representative Story comes in, but now Representative Hannon is also going to be coming in this month. So I'll get dual perspectives on stuff going on in the House. But, yeah, I'd like to thank you for coming on. Excellent. Jordan, it is always fun talking to you. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, it's, this is always fun. All right. You've been listening to Action Line on KINY.